Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. I have been so excited to tell you that my course is finally ready. I will be launching soon, and I cannot wait for you guys to see this. The topic is coping for kids, how to help your child manage difficult emotions without the meltdown. I know that so many of you are going to love and benefit from this. So if you want to get on my waiting list to find out more information as soon as it's available, go to the link in the show notes and put your name and email in and then you can be the first to know. Okay, so you know I love KiwiCo. You know that I love spending one-on-one time with my kids. Every month, I am just in awe about how affordable it is, how well it's put together, and how much my kids love it and are engaged by it. Everything is portioned out. There's the amount of supplies that you need so you don't have 7,000 googly eyes You don't have to go to Michael's 16 times. And I I really think I did the math on this latest box. And to get the supplies for one of the activities, I would have had to spend more than I spent on my whole month for the box. So if you had any hesitation, this is your permission. Order it now. Your kids will thank you. Your relationship with your kids will thank you. Go to the show notes and click on the link and then enter your email to get 30% off your first box. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. This week's episode is a little bit different than previous episodes, but I'm still really excited about it. Before I get into that, though, just a quick announcement. I was featured on or interviewed for another podcast this week. It is called Moms After Bedtime. So go find that podcast in your Spotify, your Anchor, or your Apple Podcasts and give the episode a listen. I give some advice on emotional regulation for kids, as well as self-care for moms, and how to deal with people who are questioning your parenting. So it will be, it's it's a fun episode. I really enjoyed talking with them, and they are actually going to be coming on this podcast as well. Now, for today's episode, it is, I'm going to share with you an Instagram Live that I did a while ago with Cynthia from Theramom, and in it, we talk about neurodivergence, things you can do for your kids, things you can do for yourself as a mom if you are neurodivergent, and the reason I'm sharing this on the podcast is because I think it's really important to hear real talk about how these things can be applied in real life and how they 
affect moms in real life. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. As usual, please subscribe, rate, review, share with a mom friend. And so here we go. Hi, Miriam. Here we go. I'm always so nervous about lives because there's so many things that you can't control. Yes, I know. I'm always nervous. It's like not going to work. So, right. Oh my God. I'm so excited. So many women joining us because this is such an important conversation and it's a topic. Uh huh. Yeah. I was just going to say it really is. It's a topic that I feel like we don't talk about enough as even as clinicians, we don't talk about it enough. To be honest, and I think I heard you in your podcast, this is not something that we were taught. This was never a word. I never heard this word neurodivergence, neurodiversity, when I was in school or in my training. Never. No, never. And I, I, everything I have learned, I have done through like my own educating myself, reading books, listening to podcasts, talking to uh, professionals. Like it, it's just not something we cover in school. Pretty much, I think we cover like some like best practices for how to how to you know work with people who have ADHD, and then we or you know autism or or neurodivergent. But that is wasn't even a term. And then how to diagnose, and that's like it. So. Yeah, let me turn over here because I don't want my my little notifications pop-ups to distract me. <laughs> I know. But I, I absolutely agree. And I think that this is what is causing part of the stigma. If we don't start using these terms and having these conversations that may sound uncomfortable at first, but if we don't talk about this, that's why parents are so afraid to get the evaluations and the support that their kids need. You know, I work in a school, right, as a licensed uh, contracted therapist, and I have the difficult conversation with parents who are now having their kids go to sixth grade, and for the first time, someone is telling them about autism. But all the signs were there. Yeah. All the signs were there. It's just wild to me. And I think as parents, it's such a scary road to walk because it isn't talked about. So you don't know how to navigate the school system and what to do for your child and what the future looks like for your child and why your child is experiencing these things. And I think we view it as something being wrong with them because that's how society portrays it when really like their brain just processes information differently as simple as that like and the brain is so amazing and there can be workarounds and things like that and we can adjust our expectations mm-hmm. but parents just don't know what to expect or what to do and so they they just feel so alone and so frustrated and and sad I think scared. and they're scared because what will happen now with this quote-unquote label The word label carries so much stigma. And I've had parents who would rather not see me at all because they don't want a medical record because what will happen if someone finds out? And what's the difference between that and going or having a medical record for an ear infection? Right. Or for stomach issues? Right. Yeah, it's so common or, you know, not wanting even their insurance company to know of the diagnosis or Mm -hmm. to to have their child know or things like that. And I wish I don't like diagnosing. I think it serves its purpose, but um, kind of the necessary evil with neurodivergence and the, you know, school system and resources is a medical diagnosis generally is necessary to get your child the resources that they need to be their best self. 
And so it's a lot of work in like accepting that as a parent and working around like the language we use with our kids and how we educate our kids about neurodivergence and how we educate our friends and our family about and ourselves as parents yeah. because yeah. you will have to let go of everything that you thought you needed and then your child needed and the routine that you have well let's face it if your child has been diagnosed whether it be with ADHD on the spectrum ODD or anything even anxiety although I know that's still not formally part you know of the neurodiverse umbrella but it's kind of like something wasn't working because of course all of the behavior led you to look for help. Mm -hmm. So something wasn't working in the first place. Yeah. And right. I think what a lot of parents don't recognize is that um, the typical uh, parenting strategies or suggestions or things you'll read in parenting books aren't created for neurodivergent kids. So I'll give you an example that comes up yeah. in my book a lot. My son we're still in the process of diagnosing, but he is neurodivergent somewhere, which is what's going on for sure. Yeah. And he, and so with conscious, respectful parenting, you're not supposed to, you know, guide kids or use like physical force to move them. And I don't do it in an abusive way, but he needs that physical redirection for things yeah. and he needs to be guided and he needs um, to be like to do hand over hand, like I need to put my hand over his to get him focused on putting toys away and things like that. And so if I were to just uh, follow like conscious parenting, I, I probably wouldn't do that because I'd feel like, okay, I'm forcing him to do something. I'm not giving him the option to do that. And with my other children, I do do that. But for him, he needs that. And it's gentle, but he does need that. And so I think there's just so much missed in, and so like having a provider, having a community of people that are educated on these things so you can adjust parenting techniques and parenting skills to what works best for your child. Right, but just hearing what you said, from the outside, I don't necessarily see how that wouldn't be conscious discipline anyways and conscious parenting because you're respecting him and his needs and you're doing it in a gentle way. You're not forcing him. You're not disrespecting him. You're guiding him so that he doesn't get to a point where it's dysfunctional or hurtful for him or for you and the family system. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, but I think parents just scrolling Instagram, just learning about conscious parenting are seeing all these things that are like, give your child the option to put themselves in their car seat or, you know, and, and they don't know. I have parents come in to me all the time and say, well, okay, at what point do I just lift them in the car seat and put them in? Cause they're trying so hard to be respectful. And it's like, okay, that we have to have this balance between, you know, you have to get places at a, on time right yeah. and you have yeah. to and so there's a gentle way to do those things and and an important thing to remember about neurodivergence is every child is so different that what works for my child might not necessarily work for someone else's and that's okay you just have to try different things until you find the best yeah. method for your child exactly which will which could change okay Let's go ahead because Sabrina has a question. So let's, I, I want to read the comments that are coming in. Parenting with Paige is saying a medical diagnosis is so helpful to get access to the resources that will be most helpful. It's so unfortunate that can't be accessed without, without it, meaning it, the diagnosis most of the time. And you're right, especially if you want, if you are in the public school system or in the charter system, you do need the diagnosis so that they can provide you with free resources. Now, if you want a private pay, 
Mm-hmm. And that's the difference, you know? But for to get the benefit of free or low cost, you do need to follow the steps. Yeah, I'm in the same struggle with my son right now. So we've done one neuropsych and it came back with no autism, but with like severe ADHD. He's five, almost six. And then that was in 2020. And now my pediatrician is saying that, and I agree with my pediatrician that he doesn't necessarily agree with that. So we're having to get another one, but it's just this, a lot of hoops to jump through because my son is in the public education system. He does have an IEP and they will provide some resources, but the, some other things that would be really helpful to him, they need the medical diagnosis to provide him even in school, some of the accommodations. Right. And so of course, if I had an unlimited amount of money, I would just skip this whole diagnosing thing and just pay for whatever he needed. But it's, you know, and then it's fighting with insurance companies to pay for a second neuropsych and and all of these things that just parents can feel so overwhelmed by. It's exhausting. And I think that's part of the reason that they may be hesitant to give that first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Okay. Sabrina says, can you please define what exactly you're referring to? Autism, ADHD, or all of the above? All of the above all of the above. So let's backtrack, right? Because in the 20-ish or so minutes that we have left, I feel like it's just so important for the new audience here. I have a lot of um, people that probably haven't heard your podcast, right? So, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna upload that after today to really guide you to that first neurodivergence part one podcast, which was awesome. Oh, thank you. How would you describe neurodivergence? What is it? And why then does all of these, you know, ADHD, ODD, and on the spectrum fall under neurodivergence? So there's normal variations in the human genome and how uh, and how brains process information. And so anyone who falls outside of this typical—that's where we hear the term neurotypical. way your brain processes information and functions is considered neurodivergent or neurodiverse. Things that fall into this category are typically ADHD, autism, Asperger's, like anything on the spectrum, but also dyslexia, dysgraphia, um, some other developmental delays or learning disorders, and then it's debatable. Some people include anxiety and depression. Some people also include bipolar and schizophrenia. So it kind of just depends where you're at. I, I kind of, it, I come from the camp of any person whose brain struggles with something like that and processes differently, it mm-hmm. would fall into the neurodivergent category. And, and the reason I lean more towards that camp is because it's not something the person did. It is not, it is your brain just, and it's not something wrong with you. It's not something you can fix because you're not broken. It is literally just your brain processes information and and stimulus differently than a neurotypical person. So neurotypical is someone whose brain just processes things in a typical way. And then neurodivergent or neurodiverse is someone whose brain processes information differently. So I hope that helps answer the question. And not only, I don't know if this could be official, but I feel like if you part from the point that you don't process, which means absorb. Your brain cannot absorb certain parts of what's happening around around it. Then you're not going to respond in a way that's quote-unquote typical mm-hmm. for what's going on around it, right? So the example would be someone who is 
Asperger's, which is, you know, the social part of autism, right? They can be high functioning, very smart, um, super gifted, but just socially, they really struggle, right? So they lack empathy, mm-hmm. but they don't do it on purpose. Yeah, it's not malicious. It is they, no. they, they genuinely cannot, in their brain, cannot come to a place where it understands how other people would feel. And so it's it's not malicious like a narcissist in that way. It is just mm-hmm. like I I cannot I cannot comprehend that. So what they'll do is they'll say or do things that are are really upsetting or feel really mean, and then they won't understand why the person's upset at them because they're like mm-hmm. I don't see why that's hurtful. <laughs> and so it's a lot of like social skills education and things like that. And it's not bad. I, I I've worked with tons of Asperger's clients or high functioning autism clients who learn social skills and learn how to read facial expressions and learn how to interpret information and and their life is amazing. And it's just that it's the struggle that they were given. And I think we're all given different struggles, whether it's anxiety, whether it's trauma, it's it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we're all neurodiverse. I really do. Me too. We all fall in a spectrum. Anyway, yeah, you know, we all experience our own life and anxiety and we all have different attachment styles so we are going to respond to the same stimuli and situation in so many different ways now I don't want to take away from from people who really medically experience any you know um, of the medical officially medical diagnoses you know and I know you can speak to this and, and I will really highly recommend that you hear this part one podcast because you were so honest and open about your struggles growing up and now as a mom. And yeah. probably that if you would have had the correct emotional and physical support from, from the get-go, from your childhood, it wouldn't have been so hard to absorb this information as an adult. Yeah, it really would have. And I think, and something I hope that research continues to explore is the role trauma plays in that because trauma does change the way your brain functions and operates. And so I I would bet to say that one day research will come out and say that trauma can make you neurodivergent. So I have some trauma in my childhood as well, which I think interfered with a lot of that being able to like get access to the correct resources and the correct diagnosing and, and all mm-hmm. that but yeah and it was it was really hard and even as a therapist it, it blindsided me at you know 30-ish to be like diagnosed with ADHD when I just thought I had anxiety my whole life like I just thought oh that's what it was and then when I started doing the things to help with ADHD I was like oh this is what it's like to be able to work <laughs> and be productive yeah oh this is weird you know so yeah, and we have Patsy here saying, and also know there is a range of on the spectrum, of being on the spectrum, and even of the conditions, right? Because yeah. you just said that your son could potentially be, you know, high ADHD, and then you could have mild ADHD. You can have ADHD without the H, which is the hyperactive, and you can have the hyperactive without having the inattentive. And so it's, it's such a range. So like she says, meaning it can be severe or just mild, but it always needs attention and diagnosis early. And for me, the last two parts, it always needs attention and diagnosis early. Mm-hmm. And her dad, she's one of my best friends, her dad is a pediatrician, and we're always having this conversation about when you go to those wellness checks, the two-year-old, the three-year-old, special, I know in the two-year-old, they start checking for signs of being on the spectrum. And so if your heart and your stomach is really saying, yes, this is my kid, just be honest 
and be willing to receive the feedback from the doctor because it could very well be that there's nothing there but there's no harm in trying and I speak with pediatricians all the time and parents and they really say hey here's a red flag you know go have an evaluation with a speech therapist with an occupational therapist or with a neurologist and never follow up mm -hmm. yeah or they want to wait and see until their child gets in school or in more social situations and I understand that yeah. and you don't want to wait until it's creating issues later right that are harder to adjust to yeah so for example because self-esteem is really hard and I've never spoken with an adult I had a live month ago with, I think her account is called Annie's Pink Pen, Pink <laughs> Pen, but she is basically also ADHD and anxiety and experiences anxiety and was diagnosed as an adult. And the shame and the guilt and the self-esteem piece that she had to work after so many years, mm -hmm. where like, if you know from five years old that this is how things are, and that there are ways to help you and that there's nothing wrong with you. I feel like that's the most important part. There is nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You are no less, you're no less smart or capable. You just need to work around your environment differently. Yeah. And I read this really interesting book and it talked about how people who are neurodivergent generally have like qualities or strengths because of the way their brain processes information that neurotypical people don't have. So there are amazing strengths that come with having these struggles, but there is the struggle side of it. And speaking mm -hmm. to the spectrum of it, I think it's also important to note that symptoms can look different in every person. Mm -hmm. um, and they also look very different sometimes in males and females. So if it's, if, if, your gut's telling you something is off and it doesn't feel typical, that's okay. Talk mm -hmm. to your provider, talk to your therapist, your pediatrician about what you're seeing and experiencing because there is a, you know, a wide range of things that, yeah. that can present or can come up. That's true. And I feel like it's also important to acknowledge that if as a parent, you're afraid of what the answer will be, that's normal. You're not alone. And there's so many support groups Facebook groups. I even have parents that have joined ADHD Facebook groups, right? And mm -hmm. it is scary. But what can happen, the result can be so positive that I believe that thinking about that is already a win for you mm -hmm. and for your child. And other parents are your greatest resource in this because they can tell you what they've tried that's working. They can help you with navigating the, the local like school system in your area or what they've done. They can give recommendations on providers, like really joining that support or finding that support community is so important. And it gives you someone who understands. Cause I think as a mom, you can feel very alone and isolated or like when your child is struggling with things it can just feel like I'm the only one going through this. And then you see this massive group of parents who are do going through similar things and it just helps you feel so much better and so much more capable at handling any struggles that come your way as a mom. Mm -hmm. I also want to add to that piece that not only do you find community, but it's so important to know that you didn't cause this, you did nothing wrong, and most likely it could not have been avoided. No, yeah. Autism is not your fault. Yeah. ADHD yeah. is not your fault. 
And yes, there are there is research about food and supplements and stuff that happens in the womb. But to my understanding, up to now, there's nothing concrete or too big to really prove this point. And even then, it's still not your fault because how could you? What could you have done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't cause it. Nothing's wrong with you or your child. You couldn't have prevented it. And something you ate while you were pregnant or didn't eat isn't going to be the one thing. I think these things are like a perfect storm of, of genetics and mm -hmm. brain chemistry and situational stuff. And the situational piece, like the things you can control, are so small that it probably wouldn't have shifted much anyway. Mm -hmm. And be willing to accept the information because I also have, I was just this morning, working with a family that has, you know, more than one kid and they, and each kid has its own needs and they really believe and feel that no one else in their families have these struggles. My point is that it is highly genetic. So just because it wasn't diagnosed does not mean that it wasn't in the family, especially because if you are in your thirties and above, these things were avoided and were not talked about. Mm -hmm. And so many diagnoses were missed, which is why now we're having so many women in their 30s and 40s that are being diagnosed now because finally talking about these things is starting to be accepted. Yeah, and the brain is so amazing that you can create workarounds, right? Like, mm -hmm. so you figure out how to function in life, and it's probably harder for the person who didn't get diagnosed, but they can manage it. So maybe to other people, it appears like there's no symptoms or no struggles, when really there are huge struggles that they just aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. I always find, and obviously, I mean, we're trained in this, so when we're going through our evaluation, and it's not a five-year-old, you know, it's not someone, because usually you start diagnosing around five, six, it's the most typical, right? Because that's when they enter school and you start mm -hmm. seeing that they're not learning or progressing, not even comparing to other kids, but like, you know, there's something there or they're not engaging socially, having a lot of anger or social struggles. And you start going through all of the questions and you're like, all of the red flags are there. Mm -hmm. And it's a combination of, unfortunately, denial, fear, Lack of information, I will say. Lots of lack of information. Yeah. And my so, suggestion to any parent going through this is find your own support system that, you know, can help support you through these feelings of, and there is some grief associated with it, with grief, with yeah, sadness, yeah. with letting go of those expectations. But then also recognize that you are going to have to accept this in order to be your child's biggest advocate. Because, the, I mean, the school system depending on where you're at, does what they're supposed to most of the time. But you need to be the one as the parent that takes responsibility and making sure that your providers are doing the things that they need to be doing and that your child is getting the resources that they need. And so finding your own help, whether it's through therapy or through a support group to help you with your emotional struggle with it so that you can be your child's biggest advocate. Because a lot mm -hmm. of parents, I think when they're able to educate teachers, um, as in the school system, but also in like extracurricular activities or day camps, like this is what my child responds best to. This is what mm -hmm. it, it helps the experience so much and prevents so many things that could go wrong as far as like social interactions or, you know, an example I use a lot is swim lessons because a lot of teenagers teach swim lessons. So if you're taking your neuro 
neurodivergent child to a swim lesson, you're going to want to educate this young teenager on like, okay, this is what works best for him. If he starts to act out or if he gets distracted and then it just prevents, you know, the chaos or the self-esteem issues for your child because they're not feeling like, you know, the teacher doesn't like them or they're doing something wrong because the teacher knows what to do. And that's your responsibility as a parent, I think so. Educating, educating mm -hmm. the other caregivers, but first you have to educate yourself as well. And I think I loved what you said about grieving because I see a lot of parents who struggle and, and have a hard time letting go of what it should be, what it could be, what you imagine your parenthood to be like, or your relationship to be like with your child. And, and then they come and I'm sure you see this, you work with, with children too, and with parents. And we know it's difficult. Sometimes it's harder to work with the parent because of the unwillingness to receive the information and to make small changes one at a time and meet your child where he or she is and part from there, you know? And so I think for that, seeing that you have to grieve and put that, you know, in a box or something and kind of like not start from scratch, but at least in some area. Yeah. And I think for me, the journey of motherhood's a lot about that, right? Because we go in with so many expectations about how things should be or should look. And then you add this in and it's another layer to that, right? And just being able to, yeah, to put, to put that to the side or get your own support with that, but also to say like, what is most important? Like what, what kind of childhood do I want my child to have? And does that mean that they are, you know, getting straight A's or taking AP classes, most of the time, no. And we push our kids to do those things because we feel like we should. And, and that's not really a value that we have or that we carry. And so it's a lot of just unpacking these limiting beliefs and these expectations that we have about parenting and life and what, what happy, productive kids look like. And when you get down to the bottom of it, it's all about love and connection and relationship, regardless of achievement or extracurriculars or success. And it takes a long time to get there. And, but it is something that's doable, I think. And it makes parenting so much more joyful and you feel love so much deeper because you're not always trying to change your child. You're just accepting them right where they are and, and loving them for who they are. I think that parenting will start feeling lighter mm -hmm. because fighting something that can't be changed is exhausting. And that's just going to be detrimental to your relationship with your kid. And they're going to, I mean, hopefully not, but they could feel like they are unlovable, like there's something wrong with them. And, and for me as a therapist, self-esteem is everything and developing that secure attachment with your child is everything. The A's, the APs, the extracurriculars, I don't care for it at this point. Not at this point. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's not something that, that when you look back at when you're at the end of your life and you look back on your raising your children and your relationship with them, you're not going to care about those things. You're going to care yeah. about the memories, the relationship, and that, and really parenting, we just want to raise good, kind adults, right? Like it, mm -hmm. all that other stuff isn't as important as I think the pressure that we put on it. Yeah. Parents, so. But I think we're also starting to get to the point where how many kids now in their twenties are millionaires and they yeah. don't go to college and they yeah. don't do and follow all of these checklists, you know, that we did. And so we're starting to see that neurodiversity 
there's still so many possibilities and success. Mm -hmm. And so let's kind of like, you know, flip the switch and understand that how do we use all of our kids' strengths, the strengths and leave the weaknesses to the side and just really explore all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think looking at like, recognizing that some of this is an issue that's yours that you mm -hmm. have with expectations and beliefs and and those things and and separating those like this is my this is my stuff that I need to work through that sometimes has nothing to do with your child and is really just your own stuff from childhood or whatever that looks like separating those things and working on your own stuff is so important in motherhood in general but especially if you have a child that's neurodivergent and that's where conscious parenting comes in. Yes. <laughs> that's where yeah. that beautiful work yeah. comes in. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was such a great conversation. Yeah. And I also want to uh, briefly, I want you to talk about your class, your signature class that's going to launch oh, really yeah. soon. Because I feel like that's going to be maybe a great space for parents who are in this journey to learn coping skills that will work for a family who has neurodivergence. Yes. Parents or kids? Yes. So I'm releasing, it's, it's a Coping for Kids course, and it will come out in early September. The wait list is available already. You can go to the link in my bio and get on the wait list. Um, and what it will do is it will teach you about why coping skills are necessary, how the brain works when you're activated or emotional, and then how to teach your child coping skills. Um, there's distraction skills and mindfulness skills. And then it will help you create a coping plan that's specific to your child and the situations that will come up in their life that typically, you know, set them off or cause emotional disruption for them. Sounds perfect. Like a perfect skill or toolkit to have to add yeah. this class if you're in this process of knowing that you're going to have to change mm -hmm. a lot of the skills that you already use because they're just not working. right and, and there's a section of the course that's about how you show up for your child when they're struggling and I think that's really important as well mm -hmm. and so that will be especially helpful to the parents who have neurodivergent children okay I think that your class and the class that I'm planning are going to merge beautiful because oh, you awesome are providing the work that the child needs and I will provide the healing journey that the mom needs to let go of all the shits and coulds and just parent in a way that will feel lighter to her and to her kids, you know? We should just sell it as like a bundle. Here's your bundle yeah. course. Yeah. 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 You know, healthy mom, healthy child, healthy family. So yeah. I love it because it's, you know, you're combining two sources that are really powerful. Yeah, I can't wait. Yours is early fall as well, right? Is what you said? Yeah, yeah. I'm delayed about a week or two. Okay. For personal reasons, but but yeah, it's still going to be early fall. So we'll keep talking more about it. And, and as I continue to unpack all of the modules and everything, uh, we'll discuss it more. But mine is more like a self-growth for mom, like a healing journey, you know, oh to really God. let go of all of the childhood narrative all of that and all of the mom guilt all of that awesome well i can't mm -hmm. wait mm -hmm. awesome i'm so excited that we finally had this conversation and you know i think it's a good point to stop it now and yeah uh, i don't know if you had any other questions that came up but i think we answered the questions and the comments that we had here yeah, yeah? we got awesome. them all. awesome 
Thank you so much for your time. Okay. See ya. Okay. Bye, guys. If you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Lynn's L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams LCSW. Thank you.